it was July of 2002 that we entered the field of full-time evangelism. For about a year, we traveled without, without a trailer, so that meant that we were in motel rooms and prophet chambers and all of that kind of thing for the first year of evangelism. But I remember where I was in uh, Urbana, Illinois, when the Lord laid it on my heart very definitely that it was time to get a trailer and travel in a trailer. Early on, as a young man, I had reasoned, Brother Warnick, I will not travel in a trailer. It is too much hassle. It is too much expense. I was right on the last two things, okay? It is a lot of hassle, and God help us, it's a lot of expense. But I was wrong on the first thing because I remember when God laid it on my heart, I did not start pulling a trailer because I enjoy the smell of diesel exhaust. I do enjoy the smell of diesel exhaust, but that's not why I got a trailer. I got a trailer not because other people were doing it, but because I believed God wanted me to do it. And so I began, to, uh, I began to look for trailers and so forth, began to study the industry and try to figure some things out. And in process of time, I narrowed it down to a certain uh, manufacturer. I found a dealer, and uh, I felt like this was what the Lord would have us to do and uh, gone through that process. And uh, the only thing I lacked was financing. So I went to my parents' office and, uh, in South Carolina. My, my dad was a roofing company owner, and so I went to their business office. And I began, to, I began to sit down and began to look at my options for financing. In one day, I contacted 18 different banks. And in one day, 18 different banks gave me one answer to my quest for financing. <laughs> you already know what it is, don't you? Yeah, they said no. And they said no in many different ways. One man in California put it this way. He said, Mr. Crow, I see you have no credit history. He said, Mr. Crow, I, I, said, I suggest that you do the same thing that I did when I bought my first vehicle. I borrowed the money at 25% interest. I felt like saying, why don't you go swim to Hawaii? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to borrow the money at 25% interest. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Another lady in uh, North Carolina was a little more diplomatic. She said, well, Mr. Crow, I see, uh, I, I see that uh, you don't have much of a credit history. She said, uh, let, me, let me ask you, how much money did you make last month? Well, the truth is that previous month hadn't been the best month for me as a new evangelist just getting started. And, uh, and I said to her, I said, ma'am, my income fluctuates greatly. I said, it's kind of like a salesman. In some months, a salesman will sell more than others. And, uh, and I said, I think that I, last month wasn't the best of months for me. She said, I understand that. Well, then how much money did you make last year? And I didn't want to tell her that either, but I told her and I told her the truth. And when I told her, she laughed over the phone. She laughed at me. <laughs> she said, Mr. Crow, she said, you've got to understand, if we loan you this money for this trailer, and uh, this is, a trailer is a luxury item, she said. She said, if we loan you this money for the trailer, and, and you might get to the place in your financial picture where you're not able to pay, and she laughed again. She said, the first item you're going to default on is the luxury item. I said, ma'am, if I get this trailer, it's going to be the only roof over my head. She said, oh, I wish you hadn't told me that. It's going to go worse for you now. I thought you were already planning to tell me no. What can be worse than a no answer? What are you going to send the green berets into my house after dark and haul me off to the poor house? What do you mean it's going to go worse for me now? And I'll tell you, after 18 different banks told me no, I was a bitter, frustrated preacher in that office. 
I didn't do it, but I, the thought went through my mind, why don't I just put my boot through the file cabinet or punt a trash can through the window? I mean, I, was, I, I, I thought about that. And about that time, my wife kicked into preaching mode. Does Mrs. Warnick? Never mind. <laughs> but she looked at me and she said, Paul, where is your faith? And the Holy Spirit of God took that question and bore it down on my heart and said, she's right, Paul. I realized I was not facing a financial problem. I was facing a faith problem. I went back into the study and I began to look through the Word of God on the subject of faith. I found out a lot of things that I already knew. I found out, for example, that a person can only be saved by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. Salvation is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I found out that in order to please God, we have to have faith. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Furthermore, as I began to study a little deeper, I found out in the Gospel of Matthew, there are two types of faith that we have described in, in Matthew's Gospel. Number one, there is little faith. It it's exemplified by the Lord Jesus as he's speaking in Matthew chapter 6. He says, If God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Furthermore, I read down further, and I came to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. We remember the story. The, the disciples are told by the Lord Jesus, go to the other side of the lake. I'll meet you on the other side. He was left on the shore praying. They get out in the boat. Jesus is not there. And up comes the storm in the Sea of Galilee. And the Bible says in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, the Lord Jesus comes by them walking on the sea. The disciples said, we're in double jeopardy now. Not only is there a storm, but yonder goes again ghost they cried out they said it's a spirit and the Lord Jesus said it is I be not afraid and and the Lord and Simon Peter said you know I'm from Missouri Lord if it be thou bid me come to thee on the water and what did Jesus do he said come so here goes Simon Peter and it held the water held the tossing water held. I reckon he was kind of like a toddler thinking, look at me. Man, here we go. And the Bible says he's walking on the water headed to the Lord Jesus, but all of a sudden, science kicks in. And the disciples became a scientist. He looked around, he said, storm, water, not possible. I'm in trouble. About that time, the Bible says he began to go down, and he cried out and said, Lord, save me. The Lord Jesus reached down and listened to his words. Oh, thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? So in the Gospel of Matthew, there is little faith. But also in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, the story that we have just read, there is great faith. There's great faith. We can read about great faith in Matthew chapter 8, and we can read about great faith here in Matthew chapter 15. I want you to understand something about great faith. This is the only time in Jesus' earthly ministry that he looked to a person and said to that person face to face, you, sir or ma'am, are a person of great faith. It's the only time in the Bible where he did it. Now, he mentioned to others about somebody else's great faith in Matthew chapter 8, but this is the only time in direct address where Jesus said, you are a person of great faith. I tell you, when I found that out, Pastor, I want to know about this woman's faith. Right. 
I want to preach to you a message I've entitled Great Faith. And I want, us to, I want us to dig into this passage and discover what was it about her faith that was so exemplary that Jesus would look at her at the end of the story and say, O woman, great is thy faith. And I'll tell you this, in order to see great manifestations of God's power, you and I are going to have to be people of great faith. So let's look at what the Bible has to say. I submit to you that this woman's faith was great because of the object of her faith. Look what the Bible says. The Bible says in verse 22, Behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me. Now notice these next couple of words. O Lord, thou son of David. Now this is very significant. Because when she addressed him as Lord, in the New Testament, the word Lord can sometimes be used the way we southern people use the word sir. I haven't heard a whole lot of Ohio people use the word sir, but in the South, we teach our children to say yes sir and no sir. Now, if, if my children come up and say that to you, they're not implying that you're an old geezer. That's not what they're implying. That's just the southern way of respect, okay? That's just the way we're taught to do it in the South. We say yes ma'am, no ma'am, yes sir, no sir, okay? And uh, that's, that's just the way it is. And so, sometimes in the Bible, when we read the word Lord, it is used the same way as southern person would use the word sir for example a blind Saul of Tarsus says who art thou Lord he doesn't know that it's the Lord Jesus or else he wouldn't have asked but he's been blinded and so he's using the word Lord as a as a, a term of respect you'd respect the guy that knocked you to the ground and blinded you. you I mean you better respect him and so Saul of Tarsus says who art thou Lord and so this woman she says to the Lord Jesus, she says, have mercy on me, O Lord. So it could be, it could be that she's just using Lord as a term of respect, but I don't believe that's what's going on. She says, O Lord, and then she says, thou son of, what's the word? David. David. Now, why is that significant? Jesus was very obviously a son of Abraham, okay? Because he was a Jew, very obviously. Jesus was very obviously a son of Judah. Why? Because he was of the tribe of Judah. That's just, that was very obvious. But it was not immediately obvious that our Lord was the son of David. In order to acknowledge Jesus as the son of David, she had to make some prophetic, she had to connect some prophetic dots in her mind. She had to have taken the things that Jesus had previously said, the things that he had previously done. She had to put those together with Old Testament Scripture and come up with this. This is not just anyone. This is God come in the flesh, the promised Messiah, the son of David. Can I tell you something? Faith is only as great as the object of our faith. Now, the object of our faith needs to be Jesus Christ. That is true in all aspects of life. That's true for salvation. If you're putting your faith in the church, any church, your faith is on shifting sand. Where I live in Mississippi, people say, well, yeah, I, I think I'm on my way to heaven because I've been baptized. Well, I'm sorry, that's not going to get anybody to heaven. It'll get you wet but it won't get you to heaven. Somebody says, well, uh, yeah, I'm doing the best that I can. Well, well, I'm, I'm glad you're trying not to be a, a, a heathen and a hellion, but that's not going to do you any good. 
Because faith in your good works is faith on sinking sand. This woman comes to the Lord Jesus, and she was a, a woman of great faith because of the object of her faith. She came to him and she recognized he is the Messiah. He is God come in the flesh. He is the Lord. He is the son of David. And it is to him that I will bring my problem. Let me tell you, great faith is only as great as the object. What are you trusting in tonight? What are you trusting in tonight? You trusting in your abilities? You trusting in your connections and the, and the network of people that you have at your disposal? Are you trusting in the God of heaven? This woman was trusting in God. I want you to know what the Bible says. The Bible says in Psalm 20 and verse 7, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Can I put that in a modern context? Some trust in the military might of the United States and some in hellfire missiles. But if we're going to be kept safe, we better remember that it's God that keeps us safe. Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? Now, I thank God for every member of our intelligence community that's honest. We'll move on. I thank God for every member of our military that's honest. I thank God for the men and women that put themselves in harm's way. I thank God for all of that. But can I tell you something? Without the hand of God upon us, we will not be kept safe. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. That's what God said. And I want you to understand something. Our, our, many years ago, uh, many of, some of you weren't even born yet, but on, in the aftermath of September the 11th, 2001, uh, our president at the time, George W. Bush, rose to the, to, the, to the platform and addressed the nation, and he said, the people of America need to have faith in their government. I wasn't convinced, Pastor. I wasn't convinced. Why? Because I am not going to place my faith in something as questionable as the United States government. Amen. I'm just not going to do it. And the Bible says that, uh, that when it comes to our security, our trust needs to be in the Lord. When it comes to our salvation, our trust needs to be in the Lord. When it comes to our health, our trust needs to be in the Lord. Now, I understand we, uh, insurance and all of that. I think insurance is, well, I'm not going to tell you what I think about insurance because you may work for an insurance company. At any rate, I understand insurance and all that, but can I tell you something? A man by the name of Asa at one time was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great. You can read, it about it, uh, read about it in 2 Chronicles chapter 16. Yet in his disease, he sought not the Lord, but he sought the physicians. Now hear me and hear me well. Get the balance of what I'm saying. I'm not, not at all saying that it's wrong to seek the physician. It's not wrong to go to a doctor. That's not what I'm saying. But if you don't understand that God has to guide that doctor and help that doctor, you're a fool, my friend. Yeah. In the year 2020, we are in the midst of a coronavirus, some say. It's a pandemic. And if you don't wash your hands every 15 minutes, and if you don't gargle with, uh, with, uh, with, with hand sanitizer, don't gargle hand sanitizer, okay? <laughs> Just don't. But... Uh, if you, don't, if you don't take drastic steps, you're going to die of coronavirus. I'm, I'm sorry for every person, wherever they are, that has died of coronavirus. I am. But let me tell you something. You and I better learn that our bodies are in God's hands. Amen. Amen. They're in God's hands. 
I, I appreciate the work of the president and the government to try to contain the virus in the United States as much as possible. But at the end of the day, my, hand, my, my life, my health is not in Donald Trump's hands. That's right. That's right. It is in God's hands. Amen. What are you trusting in, Christian? You know what I found? I found that if we're not careful as people of God, we can trust God for salvation and say, oh, thanks, but no thanks, Lord, I got the rest of this. And we can begin to trust in the arm of flesh for other things. Can I tell you something? God wants the object of our faith to be him in and through every part of our lives. This woman came to the Lord Jesus. Her faith was great because of the object of her faith. Let me give you one more uh, application before we move on. There's a lot of people all over the United States today that are trying to, to grow churches. They want to see churches grow. I think that's a wonderful thing. But I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people that are, that are trusting the arm of flesh to grow their church. If your pastor were to, do, were to want to do this, he could go online and find a website that would take him, quote, from zero to hero by effective use of social media. Now, I don't know how these preachers have time to study their Bible because they're taking so many selfies and posting them online. I have an Instagram account. I'm on social media, media, sort of. I put a couple things up today. And, uh, you know, and that's, I, I'm not against social media, but man, I'm telling you, if I posted as much as some of these people did, it takes me time to post something to social media. Who has time to be taking pictures of themselves all the time? <laughs> 34 selfies, scroll nine times to the left, and you get every one of them. Are you kidding me? But the, the reality is, that is part of, for, for some pastors, that is part of a church growth thing. What are you doing? You're promoting yourself. You can uh, remove the pulpit. You can remove the crosses. You can remove uh, all, the, all of the traditional trappings. You can get a, a music that looks more like a nightclub scene. And then you can grow your church. Can I tell you something? The Word of God says in Jeremiah 17 and verse 5, yeah. Cursed yeah. is he that maketh flesh his arm. That trusteth in man and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Whew. What does that mean? That means people that are trusting in the arm of flesh live under a curse from Almighty God. I don't want to live there. But that's what the Word of God says. So I want you to know this woman was a woman of great faith because of the object of her faith. Number two, I want you to notice this woman was a woman of great faith because of the obstacles to her faith. Look what the Bible says. We're in, the, we're in Matthew 15. She says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. Notice, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Now, we don't know what the symptoms of this girl were, okay? Demon possession showed all kinds of different symptoms in the New Testament. None of them were good. Let me give you the symptoms of one man. One man came to the Lord Jesus. You can read about him in the book of Mark, chapter 9. He brought a demon-possessed boy to the Lord Jesus, first of all to the disciples, and eventually to the Lord Jesus. And, and the Bible says as soon as the boy saw the Lord Jesus, straightway the evil spirit began to tear that boy, and the boy wall fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. Spits coming out of his mouth. The Lord Jesus looked at him and asked him, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And the father said, of a child. And oft times it casteth him into the fire or into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. 
That boy could never go to a Fourth of July picnic. Couldn't cook a weenie over a campfire. Now, it'd be a Hebrew national weenie, you understand, but you couldn't cook him a weenie over the campfire because the demon would come on that boy and throw him into the fire. Couldn't take him fishing in the spring because the demon would come on that boy and throw him into the water trying to kill him. And the father was at his wit's end. At his wit's end. He said, Lord, if you can do anything, just have compassion on us. And I'm going to tell you, we don't know the symptoms of this girl, but we know she was grievously vexed. Can I tell you something? You and I need to realize that great faith is made and displayed in the obstacles of life. When everything's going well for you and you're trusting in God, that doesn't say much to people around you. But when the difficulties come and the obstacles emerge all of a sudden and you continue to trust God, all of a sudden people take up, uh, sit up and take notice. What's going on here? The Bible says her daughter was grievously vexed with the devil. That's a bad, that's a bad scene. But I want you to know this woman's problem is going to get worse. Look at verse 24. Excuse me, verse 23. The Bible says, but he answered her not a word. Now, I want you to get the picture. Here's this woman. She has a problem. Her daughter is grievously vexed. I don't know how it manifested itself. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if in the middle of the night this girl would bolt up in her bed just shrieking and screaming with night terrors. I wouldn't be surprised if she was uh, mutilating herself. By the way, can I tell you, some of the things that get medically diagnosed today, I see those same symptoms in the New Testament. Only the New Testament says it's demon possession. Now, I'm not a doctor, but boy, that does make me sit up and wonder. Somebody says, we don't have demon possession today. Well, I, I, I just don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. Somebody gave me a, a medical diagnosis of the maniac of Gadara. There's a term for every single thing that the maniac of Gadara was doing. But you know what his problem was? There were 6,000 demons living in him. His name was Legion, for the demons were many. The Bible says Jesus cast them out, and that man was sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Now, I'm not, I'm not looking for a demon behind every bush, okay? I'm not saying that. But I am saying this. It ought to drive you and me to our knees, and when we see some of these problems that are just so rampant in our world today, we ought to say, dear God, if this is demonic oppression and demonic influence, would you defeat the work of Satan in this one's life? Because sometimes that's exactly what it is. And so the Bible says, she came to the Lord Jesus about her problem, but Jesus didn't answer her prayer. He answered her not a word. Let me tell you, there are going to be times, are you listening to me? There are going to be times when you go to God with your problem and it seems like God doesn't answer your prayer. You say, Brother Paul, God's a prayer-answering God. He is a prayer-answering God. But there are going to be times when, because of His delay in answering you and I are going to equate that with a no answer or not answering. If you don't believe me, pick up your Bible and read through the book of Psalms sometime. Lord, how long wilt thou be silent? Why art thou far off from the words of my groaning? And so here's this woman. She goes to, she goes to God. She doesn't go to the, the psychologist of the day. She doesn't go to the expert. She goes to God. 
And she lays out her complaint before Jesus himself. And the, and the Bible says that the Lord Jesus answered her not a word. And it's about that time. I've met many people that in that similar situation, they turned their back on God and said, I was in a hard time. And when I prayed, God wasn't there for me. Therefore, I'm turning my back on him. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's not the time to turn your back on God. That's the time to understand that great faith is made and displayed in the obstacles of life. Notice the Bible says, verse 23, not only did Jesus not answer her, but the disciples wanted to drive her away. The, the disciples came and besought him, saying, send her away, for she crieth after us. And Lord, evidently you're not going to help this woman, so would you just get rid of her? Because she keeps crying, and uh, she keeps coming back, coming back and coming back. And Lord, if you're not going to deal with this woman, just, just, just get her out of here, because she won't quit. Can I tell you, God's people ought to understand your problem and they ought to be there for you, whatever that means. But sometimes, because we're human, we're not. I'm not making excuses. I'm just giving you a little bit of a dose of reality here. Here are these men. They're walking with the Lord Jesus. They're learning at His feet. They're learning. They're hearing His teachings. They're seeing the miracles. But, but their work's in progress just like everybody else. There's nobody in here that's reached perfection except for maybe me, and my wife disagrees. But anyway, there's nobody in here has reached perfection. We're all a work in progress. And so, there are going to be times when you have a problem, you go to God, it seems like God doesn't answer, you're going to go to lean on God's people, and they don't understand. And it's about that time that Satan gets on a camps out in your mind and says, aha, God's not who he said he would be. God's people are not who, they, who they're supposed to be. Why don't you just quit and give up on God and just throw in the towel and forget the whole thing? But that's not the right response. The right response is to realize great faith is made and displayed in the obstacles of life. But for this woman, her problem's about to get worse. Verse 24, Jesus speaks. He's been silent up to this point, but now he speaks. Notice what he says. I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. To the American mind, this is one of the most offensive statements to ever come out of our Lord's mouth. Because to the American mind, this is good old-fashioned discrimination. What is he saying? <coughs> He's saying to this woman, you're not a Jew. You were born in the wrong family. Your skin is the wrong color. I can't help you because you're not a Jew. Does that make you uncomfortable? Makes me uncomfortable. Lord, you mean to tell me that just because of the color of this woman's skin or the family she was born into that you're not going to help her and she has laid out her problem for you? Now, we've read the end of the story. She can say, no, Brother Paul, that doesn't make me uncomfortable in the least. But hold on. Let's put ourselves in the moment, can we? She doesn't know the end of the story. She has just heard from the mouth of the Lord Jesus, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She is a Canaanite woman. She's not a Jew. And he said, because you're not a Jew, I can't help you. Now, he, I, I want you to understand what's going on here. God knew the end from the beginning, but this woman didn't know the end from the beginning. God knew what he was going to do in the end. Our Lord is not being cruel and unkind. 
Our Lord is setting up a situation where for not only as long as the Bible has been read and, and, and reread, but for all of eternity, people will look back on this Canaanite woman and they will say, thank God for a woman who persisted and was a woman of great faith. We can see that today. She couldn't see that in the moment. And hear me, neither can you and neither can I. I'm talking to somebody right here. Fellas, please listen there. I'm talking to somebody here today. You don't know what the rest of 2020 is going to bring, but it's going to bring some trials to your faith, some obstacles. And when those obstacles come, please remember, great faith is made and displayed in the obstacles of life. And so the Lord Jesus says, I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. At that point, many people would be offended. I can't believe that. That's awful. I can't believe And they would have walked away, and that would have been the end of the story, but not this woman. Look at the Bible. says in verse 25, Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. I see a woman falling on her face. I see a woman grabbing the ankles and the sandaled feet of the Savior. I see her hot tears rolling off her face and onto his feet there. And I see her as her body just convulses with sobs. She says, Lord, help me. There's no other person to whom I can turn. There's no other, there's, there's no other solution that I can find. Lord, you've got to be the one here. Lord, come in and do what I cannot do. That's what it seems that she's saying. You would think at that point, surely the master's heart would be broken. You'd think at that point, surely the master would say, in that case, I will help you. But that's not what happened. Look at verse 26. Look at verse 26. Jesus speaks again. He answered and said, It is not meat. That means it's not appropriate. It is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Wow. Verse 24 was hard to swallow. Verse 26 is harder yet. Jesus is using figurative language. Look what he says. It is not meat. It's not fitting. It's not appropriate. It wouldn't be right to take the children. Well, the children there are the children of Israel. It's not fit to take the children's bread. What's the bread? The bread is the power of God, the miracle-working power of God that he had to display. It is not fit to take their bread and cast it to dogs. Who are the dogs? Gentiles. So here's what he's saying. Ma'am, you're a dog. I've got bread, but it's for the children, not for the dogs. Wow. Can I have you to understand Satan will, will see to it that in times of difficulty you will look at life and you will look around and you will say God is blessing others while he is withholding blessing from me. And Satan will raise in your mind this idea God is playing favorites. God's blessing this family while we're struggling. God's blessing this ministry while we're having difficulty. That happens all the time in the hearts and minds of men. It's a lie of Satan. And that's what, that's what uh, anyone, anyone would understand if this woman went away saying that very thing. They would understand if she said, well, he called me a dog and uh, he said that he, his power wasn't for me. So that's it. I'm through with Jesus. I'm through with the Messiah. I'm through with the whole thing. But that's not what the woman did. Notice what she did say in verse 27. And she said, truth 
Lord. What? Lord, you just called me a dog. I don't understand it, but truth, Lord. Lord, you just said your power, the bread, is designed for the children. I don't understand it. I'm pretty sure she didn't know any of the uh, dispensational theology at that point. But she said, I don't understand why you would say that, but you said it. Truth, Lord. You said, I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I don't understand why that is, but you said it. Truth, Lord. Can I tell you something? Faith always answers God, whether it's easy or whether it's hard. Faith always comes to God. And whatever he says, faith says, truth, Lord. Wow. Wow, what a woman of faith. Truth, Lord. Lord, I don't understand. I can't see how this applies to me. It doesn't make sense why you would say this. It almost seems hurtful, your actions. But I refuse to give up my dedication to the Word of God and to whatever God does and says. Truth, Lord. Wow. But then she says, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. (laughs) This woman comes to the Lord Jesus and she said, Lord, you called me a dog. It's truth. It's truth, not because I understand it, but I accept it because you said it. Truth, Lord. You said that the bread is intended for the children. Lord, I don't understand that, but you said it. So truth, Lord. You said that I'm a dog and I don't deserve to have a a, a piece of bread or a loaf of bread. Lord, you said it. Truth, Lord. Don't understand that. But I'm going to accept it because you said it. But Lord, the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. What is she saying? She said, Lord, this afternoon, I picture it in the afternoon. I don't know when it was. But Lord, this afternoon, I don't need a whole loaf of bread. I don't need a slice of bread. You give that bread to the children. That's what they're supposed to get. But Lord, while I don't need a loaf, I don't need a slice, could you just give me a crumb? Could you just give me a crumb? You've said I'm a dog, and Lord, it's true. I don't understand it all, but you said it truth, Lord. But the dogs eat of the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Could you give me just a crumb? Wow. Great faith. Great because of its object. Great because of the obstacles. But I want you to notice number three in closing. This woman's faith was great because of the outcome. Look at verse 28. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, (laughs) great is thy faith. I guess so. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Do you understand Jesus is giving her a blank check on the power of God? Do you understand he's coming to her and saying, listen, lady, listen, whatever you want, you can have. Now, nobody there doubted what she wanted. This is not name it and claim it theology. I need a gold Cadillac Escalade. No, 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 that's not what she's saying. She's saying, I want my daughter to be healed from the, from the demon that is oppressing her. And Jesus said, I want it to be it unto thee, even according as thou wilt. And that's exactly what happened. Her daughter was made whole from that very hour. God healed her daughter. Let me, let me tell you something. As we close this message tonight, God is looking for you and me to trust him. 
God is looking for us to cling to Him in faith. You say, Brother Paul, what if I step out on faith and it doesn't work out the way I thought it was going to? Well, cling to the Word of God and say, Truth, Lord. Brother Paul, what if I, what if I pray and that loved one doesn't, uh, doesn't respond the way I think they should and, and, they, and they get sick anyway? Just for cling to the Lord Jesus and say, Truth, Lord. And understand that great faith is made and displayed in the obstacles of life. But can I tell you, when you and I persist in great faith, there will be times when the windows of heaven open and God does miraculous things for you and for me. As I think about this matter of faith, I mentioned this as, as we were praying this morning, but I'm amazed at the times in the Bible when people limited the power of God through their unbelief. We remember Israel, the story of them coming out of the Red Sea coming through the Red Sea, rather, coming out of Egypt and into the wilderness and so forth. But the Bible says this in Psalm 78. Psalm 78 recounts the story. Psalm 78 and verse 41 says, Yea, they turned back and tempted God, and here it is, limited the Holy One of Israel. Wow. Now, if you limited Moses, that would be a remarkable thing. If you limited Pharaoh, that would be noteworthy. But it was neither Pharaoh nor Moses that was limited. They limited God. They stayed the hand of God. They forced his blessing hand outstretched to pour out the blessing. They said, no, Lord, not here, not now. How did they do this? They did this in the context of Psalm 78. When God said, I'll provide for you, they said, can God provide a table in the wilderness? What did they do? They limited God through their unbelief. Can I tell you something? If they did it in the wilderness, I can do it today. If they did it in the Old Testament, I can do it today. Hey, that's not the only time. You're not far from Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 is a long chapter. It's a chapter with a lot of parables in it. At the end of the chapter, Jesus comes to his home area of Nazareth. He, he teaches and he preaches. But the Bible says that they, 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 weren't, they just didn't accept him. They said, we know this guy. You mean to tell me he's so popular? Why, why is he so popular? His brethren are with us. His sisters are with us. We know this guy. And the Bible says in Matthew 13 and verse 58, he did not many mighty works among them, not because he was unable, not because he was unwilling, but because of their unbelief. He did not many mighty works among them because of their unbelief. What does that mean? That means that for me, as I go out soul winning, I might limit the hand of God because I don't believe in the power of the gospel that I had to give. That's, right. That's sobering. That means as I go out and and I pray, and I, and I seek God, and as we look at the Victory Gospel Crusade, it's going to be in our minds for the next two months, or three months, really, and as we think about that, it might be that I limit the hand of God through my unbelief. Oh my, may it never be said that you and I do that. We know the verse, I've given it to you already, but Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith it is really difficult to please God. No, that's not what it says, is it? It's impossible to please God. We see people that try to work their way to heaven. And we go to them lovingly and kindly and we say, you can't work your way to heaven. You can't do it. It is impossible. And hear me, you and I, now that we're saved, cannot please God without trusting Him. It is impossible. 
And in order to see great manifestations of God's power, you and I must be people of great faith. Let me ask you something. How would God describe your faith? Is it little faith? Or is it great faith? Or is it somewhere in between? You know what my prayer is? One of my prayers for the Victory Gospel Crusade? Lord, increase our faith. That's one of my prayers. Pray it this morning. Increase our faith. Lord, I'm not, I don't care about anybody else. Lord, increase my faith. And let me trust you more. People have asked me, Brother Paul, you were, you were there in the, in the room and 18 different banks told you, no, you can't get financing. What, what happened? Well, I, I called up, the dealer called me, actually. They were building the trailer for me. I was going to buy it brand new and all of that. And so, and so the dealer called me and said, Mr. Crow, I need to go over several details. And man, he went down a long list of details, just took me through the whole thing. And, uh, and I said, yeah, I, I appreciate that. He said, uh, is, there any, uh, is there anything that I've left undone? Is there any question that I can answer for you? I said, yeah, there is one small matter. I said, I don't have anybody to give me financing for this trailer. I don't have the thousands of dollars it's going to take. And, uh, and I've tried to get financing on my own. I haven't been able to do it. He said, oh, didn't I tell you? He said, we have a bank in southern Indiana. They're going to finance the whole thing. It's all taken care of. I'm sorry that I didn't tell you sooner. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized that God had that entire thing all taken care of all along. I could multiply stories to you. I'll not do that, but let me just tell you one. I, we were scheduled early on in our ministry. It might have been 2004. We were scheduled to go to Arizona and then on to Southern California. It was in the wintertime, and uh, uh, there, there, Southern California winter is a great time for a revival meeting. It's about, oh, I don't know, 70 degrees out in the daytime, and it, it's just really beautiful. So uh, for anyone that lives in a trailer, we hear the Macedonian call to Southern California about February. That's the truth. And so, matter of fact, 2021, that's where we'll be. But uh, at any rate, so I, was, I knew I had some meetings scheduled out there. I thought, well, we'll just, we'll just go with that. But there was one problem. I didn't have the money. Driving across America takes a lot of money. I knew that once I got to California and Arizona, my needs would be taken care of. But getting there, that was the problem. We didn't have it. And so I... I told my wife, I said, well, sweetheart, we're just going to go. She said, how are we going to pay for it? I said, I have no idea. We got to Atlanta, Georgia. I was planning to go across America on I-20 and, and hit I-10 in West Texas, but it snowed and sleeted in Atlanta, Georgia in February on that night. I said, that's it. We're going down to I-10. We're going to drive in the Gulf of Mexico if we have to. I don't want to drive on slippery roads with a trailer. And so we went down to I-10. We, we got into Louisiana on I-10. We were out of money, completely out of money. And I called up this church, and I said, yes, my name is Paul Crow. I'd like, to, I'd like to park my trailer at your church and join you for your Wednesday night service. You thought I'd done him a favor. Oh, I said, Brother Paul, that's wonderful. And I told him I was going to be there, but I never showed up to the service because as I was walking in with my wife, the youth pastor grabbed me and said, hey, I understand you're an evangelist. Come preach to my young people. Would you do that? And then he backpedaled. He said, oh, oh I, I don't mean to put you on the spot. I said, no, no, no. I live to preach. I love to preach to your young people. So I never showed up for the service. I preached to his young people, about 40 young folks there uh, on a Wednesday night. 
And that next morning, the pastor took me out to breakfast, and he went to the ATM. I don't know if it was the church account, his account, it doesn't matter. He took some money out of the account, put it in my hands. I was able to get on into Texas. Got on into Texas. I, I, I parked at the Parkwood Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. I didn't do anything for the church. I didn't wash that pastor's truck or shine his shoes or anything. But as we were getting ready to go, he said, Here, Brother Paul, we've taken up a love offering for you. And here, Brother Paul, I want to fill your tank with diesel fuel. You know everything is bigger in Texas. That man got more fuel in the tank of my truck than Mopar says was possible to get in there. <laughs> he knew how to, diesel's kind of like a Coke. You pour a Coke real fast, you know, and it fizzes to go. Diesel's about the same way. I didn't know that. He did. But, I mean, we got, we got all kinds of fuel in there, and sure enough, we took off across Texas. Finally, we pulled into El Paso, Texas on a Saturday night. I had called ahead, gotten permission to park at this specific church. The pastor, the pastor was having some kind of uh, special thing, and so that, that Sunday afternoon he took me out to eat and uh, took the family out to eat, and there he did an unusual thing, Pastor. He said, Brother Paul, I've never seen you before in my life, but I feel led of the Lord to have you preach in the evening service. Mm-hmm. Talk to your pastor. Pastors don't do that. A guy doesn't blow in at 8 o'clock and you put him on the following day to preach. That's just not how things are done unless God's in it. Because by the time we got to El Paso, we were out of money again, and God came in and met our needs once again and gave us all that we needed to get to our first regularly scheduled meeting in Arizona. It was a great trip. We saw a lot of, we saw God do a lot of things. I believe it was on that trip that there was a, a man say that's still serving God today. It was just, just a tremendous time. And you know what? I think to myself, what would I have missed if I had not stepped out on faith? What would I have missed? Can I ask you this question? What are you going to miss out if you don't step out on faith? I shudder to think. I shudder to think what it would be for you. I shudder to think what it would be for me. But can I tell you? In every aspect. Uh, the Victory Gospel Crusade is on my mind. It's on your pastor's mind. And by the grace of God, it's going to be on your mind. But that's just one aspect of living for God. Everything by faith. That's what the Christian life is all about. And in order to see great manifestations of God's power, we've got to be people of great faith. Father in heaven, thank you so much for, for allowing